This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. We're going north of the border. becoming a regular feature now that it's just two people one of them seems to be always Mm. me so it feels like i've got my own talk show slash my own podcast and i'm (laughs) just uh i'm just asking select people that i want on the show uh to talk about (laughs) the same three people Uh, this week it's uh my guest is mr tim baxter mr baxter how are you I'm very good, thank you. I'm no longer coughing, so I can actually get in participate. There, come on, the boys. Um, as always, before we get started, uh, you can tweet us, gametime underscore pod, or Gmail us, email us, whatever email you choose to use at gametimepodcast1 at gmail.com. Uh, coming up in the show today, we'll kick it off with a little bit of Liverpool Leicester action, the two L's. Move it swiftly on to two newly promoted sides in Norwich versus Aston Villa, and then. We'll finally talk some Chelsea because uh, Tim's on the show and we've neglected Chelsea. We have a... Yeah, I all, I want to talk about Chelsea almost as much as I want <laughs> to talk about Tottenham. Um, yeah, Tottenham. Yeah, that's why Ryan's not actually on the show this, e- this evening. He's, um, he's, uh, he's still crying. Uh, and then... Uh... <laughs> I don't think he's in recovery from that, from that absolute scrap. Uh, whilst we're on the subject of no. Champions League, we are recording whilst the Wednesday evening games are on. So... We say we won't reference them, but if Chelsea score, no doubt Tim will loses. You, you might just hear a <laughs> shrill scream, and then I'll try and compose myself. But you have timed it literally the exact minute that the, the, the game I, started. I so love, yeah, I love timing fault. things at, at the wrong point. Uh, speaking of things that are being timed at the wrong point, is Leicester's trip to Liverpool going to be at the wrong time? For, for Leicester, who have been on a, a very good run. But do you think they've got what it takes to get one over on Liverpool? I hope it's the right time for Leicester, to be honest. I think um, they've looked really good. They're in third at the table. Um, they, they've, you know, they can score goals. They, they're really well-structured and they've got some, some great midfield players. And I just think that if anyone's going to cause Liverpool like some genuine trouble, it could be Leicester at this point. Um, I think we've seen it before where Leicester, I mean, excluding their sort of title winning season, they can tend to tail off a little bit uh, towards the end of the season through, you know, um, sort of their players getting a bit tired and maybe not having the squad depth. But at the moment, they're looking really, really good. I think uh, Vardy can cause issues and uh, Madison and T. Elements in, in midfield could, could really uh, sort of trouble um, Liverpool. Uh, I think they looked a bit weak, Liverpool. Um, they, you know, Chelsea almost, um, or could have beaten them. We uh, lost two one, but uh, definitely could have could have picked up a result there um, fairly recently. And I just think, you know, if anyone is going to do it, Leicester have got the attitude. Like they will not stop for ninety minutes. Um, and 
you know, like they know what their game plan can be. It's just get Vardy to try and get him behind Van Dijk and Matip and just get Madison and the elements that just play balls through and just, he's going to have a, at least one chance. Um, so you've just got to hope that maybe uh, Salah and Mane uh, maybe don't have best games because they're not in a huge amount of form at the moment. And then, Hope that that one chance is enough, and Vardy can and can score and put them ahead and, and win them the game. Some stat attacks for you. Um, Liverpool have got an absolutely monster record at Anfield. Ge- in general, in in a general, I should say, um, they are playing some superb football and they don't lose many games. But they have not lost at Anfield since in the league since April twenty seventeen. So it's going to be an absolute monster challenge for, for Leicester to overcome that. And, and the one thing that, that I found interesting, and you picked up on it there, they weren't, they weren't great Liverpool against Sheffield United, but credit where credit's due to, to Sheffield United, because I thought they were going to try and change their play a little bit. And they did put men behind the ball, but they carved Liverpool open at times. And with maybe a little bit more composure and a little bit more prowess at finishing they might have had a couple of goals in that game they probably could have nicked something and they deserve to steal something from it because they played really really well but Liverpool in themselves battled and yes it was a fortunate goal in the end that decided the game but at the end of the day I think Liverpool have got that thing about them in the past they've had that or they don't know how to win a game. In the season where they came close to the title, they drew a lot of games, and especially that one against Crystal Palace where they were comfortably in the lead and then let it, let it slip. No pun intended. Um, this, is a di- this is a very different... <laughs> Enjoyed that. <laughs> this is a very different Liverpool side, and, and it, they'll definitely take an absolutely class team to beat them at Anfield. And I wonder if that's going to be Leicester, because they're playing some bloody lovely football under Rodgers and in Jamie Vardy that you mentioned he's on an absolute roll like under Rodgers no player has scored more goals absolutely scored 14 goals in 17 matches since Rodgers took charge so he's doing unbelievably well in that system the one thing that I fear this is going to be Leicester's biggest test so far this season. Yes, they're third. Yes, they've played unbelievably well. This will no doubt be their biggest test. Against Manchester United, they were unlucky to lose that game. But when you go to places like Old Trafford and you go to places like Anfield and the Etihad, you have got to be on your best and you've got to perform. And I wonder if the way Leicester City play football might just play into Liverpool's hands a little bit. Mm, it, it might do, but I, I think... Leicester just embody that sort of underdog um, performance, and I think that yeah, the you know the stadium will be against them. They'll have thousands of Liverpool fans, you know, spurring Liverpool on. And I think you, you're right; you did touch on it. I think Liverpool has shown that they can battle um, wins out. But if Sheffield United had signed like Glenn Murray in the summer, they could have scored five goals against them. Um, the amount of chances they created, they just needed someone to be able to finish, um, and they really struggled. Uh, literally with the, their final kick trying to score. But the chances they created against Liverpool were were vast. And yeah, you know, a few Liverpool players were off it. But if you want to win the title, you can't be off it. And I think Leicester are the, that, that team to beat top six teams. And uh, they're going to create chances no matter what, no matter how good you are defensively. Um, so yeah. 
I would be a bit I would be a bit worried. I think it's got the potential to be if you're a Liverpool fan, I'd be a bit worried. I think it's got the potential to be a, a quite high scoring game as well because I think you know what Le- Leicester are going to go out and try and score. Like no one's going to um so they're not going to change how they play and and be m- much more defensive. Like they they might end up playing a bit of counter-attacking football, but that still means they're going to go at it. Um and I just think that there's sort of the, the you know the plucky underdog team that they can actually uh, really challenge Liverpool and put them off a bit. Um, but we, we could see a really good game. Um, I don't think it'll be easy for Liverpool at all. I think it'll probably be Liverpool's biggest test of the season as well. Fair, yeah, no, it's going to be a fantastic game because Leicester have been been an, under great um, stewardship by by Ben and Rogers since he came in, and, he, and he's shown exactly what he can do with that team. And I would not be surprised if they finished third, to be honest, with the way other teams are playing um, in the league. Mainly Tottenham have have dropped off a little bit in recent weeks. But you mentioned top six there. That brings me very nicely onto a stat I found earlier today as well. Since 2014-15, Jamie Vardy scored the most goals in the Premier League against the top six. He scored 31 goals. He's outscored Aguero, Kane, Mane, and then Sigurdsson is fifth on that list, which is quite incredible. But he has drawn blanks against Chelsea United and Spurs this season. So can he rekindle the sort of form that he's played against other teams against Liverpool? Remembering he scored two absolute belters when Leicester won the title against Liverpool that season. Um, do, do you bag him to score this weekend? Would you put your money on it? Oh, I, I mean, don't endorse betting, but absolutely. I think if anyone's going to score on that pitch, if you're if you're gonna you're gonna back anyone to score, uh, probably every player on the pitch, I'd probably go with Vardy. Like he is the only focal point for uh, that Leicester team. Like he's where the goals are going to come from. And mm. um, obviously, a massive win for them against Newcastle. You have to score the goals at the end of the day, but Newcastle made it very easy going down to ten men and then didn't choose to defend whatsoever. Yeah, well, it wasn't much of a test at the end of the day because Newcastle made it very easy for them. That said, Leicester created a lot of chances when it was 11 men versus 11. So you would think, and that was without Madison, remember, he was out of that game. So with him back in the team, you've got a player in Jamie Vardy who scored the most goals against the top six since 2014-15. You've got James Madison, who since the start of last season has created more chances than anyone else, bar none. You've got a recipe for a very, very good game. And then on the other side of that, you've got Virgil van Dijk, probably one of the best defenders, if not the best defender, central defender at least, in world football right now, coming off the back of a man-of-the-match performance against Sheffield United. I think it's going to be a bloody good game. And I genuinely don't... I'm going to just... I hope so. I'm going to go Liverpool just because of their insane home record. And I think... The reason they struggled against Sheffield United, and Ryan me- mentioned it last week, United made sure to put everything out there. And I'm not saying that Leicester won't, but Leicester's more expansive style of football will give the likes of Mane, Salah, Firmino space to run into that they probably didn't have against Sheffield United. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go for a narrow Liverpool win. Um, just because I want Leicester to win so badly, I th- I'm going to go with Leicester. Again, I'll, I'll, I, I reckon it's something like 3-2 or 4-3 or something. It could be that many goals oh. because um, it, I, I just want it to be a really good game. And I think that uh, if anyone's going to sort of break this uh, huge 
established record of Liverpool is going to be Leicester because they're the team that break records and do what no one expects. So um, I just think, you know, why not? Uh, why not back them and, and see what they can do? Because they are, as you said, they're playing really, really well. And remember, obviously, Leicester last season played quite a pivotal role in Liverpool not winning the title with uh, Harry Maguire's equaliser at Anfield to draw 1-1. And in fact, the recent results back your ideas that there's going to be goals. Both teams have scored in their last five matches against each other. Um, Leicester winning 3-1 back in their title winning season. It's been 3-2 Liverpool, 2-1 Liverpool, 2-1 Liverpool and 1-1. So it looks like there will be goals. Will there be goals in Norwich versus Aston Villa, though? Two teams who, let's be honest, play some very nice football, but have not in recent weeks been getting the results to match that. Villa coming off a 2-2 draw with Burnley. Norwich coming off the back of a pretty disappointing loss to to Crystal Palace in the end, um, 2-0 in that one. Do you think Norwich is still maybe riding a little high from that win against Manchester City? I think so. I think, it, I mean, it was it was so good that even if they did get relegated, they could still say they beat Man City uh, in the way that they did. And it was brilliant. But I think they, they didn't beat Man City on a fluke. Like, they've shown from the start of the season how they like to play, how good they are when they play attacking football. And they haven't really wavered from that. I just think they've been hit with so many injuries, meaning that then, you know, players have to step up and then there aren't enough replacements and players are getting tired already. And it's just, it's, it's such a drain on, on the team. Um, these injuries and, and the way they play, you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult for players and they're going to play um, the most sort of physical matches they've played or like most tiresome matches they've played in the Premier League this year. Um, just because of the, the you know the quality of the football that's needed, but um, I just I just think when you know they get a few players back from injury, they'll get a bit of a boost. Um, they're not going to stop playing the way they are, and I think they can score goals no matter who they're playing against. Um, so it's just up to to them whether they can sort of maybe be a bit more defensively solid um, and just give Timo Pukki the ball a little bit more. Yeah, defensively solid is is a big one for Norwich because. We've seen how they like to play. They love to play this fluid counter, not counter attacking, just fluid football. They like to play fluid mm. attacking football. They'll pass out from the back. They will stick to that philosophy because that's how Daniel Farker wants to play. But in saying that, they average 1.29 goals per game so far this season. Timo Puki scored six of those goals. Conceded, though, they've, they averaged 2.29 goals per game that they concede. And in the Premier League, you cannot build a successful football team on outscore the opponents. Look at Blackpool. They didn't do it. Look at Chelsea this season. No offence, but long-term-wise, it's probably not going to work. Villa, though, although Villa score only 1.14 goals per game on average, they're so much better at making sure they do not concede. 1.57 goals per game on average they concede. And I think that's because... Tyrone Mings and Engels at the back have maybe formed a little bit more of a solid partnership and sometimes they just get the ball out when they need to get the ball out. And don't get me wrong, I love the way Norwich play. I'm not bashing passing the ball out from the back, but you don't always have to do it. And I think they struggled a lot, especially Burnley, 
because Burnley just very much know how to play against these sort of teams. And Crystal Palace, they didn't really create much against Crystal Palace. But granted, and I'm, I'm forever, forever the optimist, they were two away games. They're back at home against Aston Villa. Timo Pukki has a very, very good record at home. I would imagine that Norwich will score in this one. But honestly, I don't know which way it'll go. So... No, I think it's 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 very difficult to call. I just think I think the thing you're saying about um sort of playing out from the back, I think they, they again they suffer from um yeah, another team that suffers from only having sort of one option up front in Puki. Like you're never gonna drop him because he's great, but he's quite short. He's not the most physical player, he's not the kind of player that you can play the ball up to and he can hold it up and bring other players into the game as mm. much. Um just because you know, you need that. If if you're under a pressure if you're getting um you know if you're high press or you just need um to get the ball out and give your defenders a bit of a rest he's not that type of player that can you can just hoof the ball up to and he can hold it yeah you can get behind and he can score goals but it's like they need that other option to bring off the bench if they do have that and they they currently don't uh you know they don't have that quality there um if they do stay up and i think in january especially it could be a huge uh, window for them is to bring a couple of players in um, maybe a, def- like a, a solid defender and one of the, a, a classic number nine target man uh, and that could genuinely help them and give them a few more options because at the moment yeah they've got this way of playing football and it's great but they don't have another option um, and he said I think Aston Villa are pretty solid I, I would back Norwich one because yeah you're right they're at home I think they'll get a huge amount of uh, support and just they'll continuously keep playing that, that style of football and Aston Villa won't be able to keep them out the entire game. But um, I don't think Aston Villa have enough quality at the moment going forward um, to, to cause Norwich as many issues. Uh, Wesley has scored a couple of goals, but he hasn't looked thrilling. Um, and I think that the main creativity is from uh, Grealish and beginning midfield. So if they can sort of uh, pack the midfield a bit, Norwich, and... and uh, put some tackles in. I, I think they could get on top of Aston Villa. Yeah, I, I will disagree with you on one point, but I will ultimately agree with everything that you say. I, I think Wesley is is exactly the striker that Villa need. But yes, he does need to perform better. He scored one or two goals this season. He's a big lad and he will hold the ball up front for the likes of Grealish and McGinn to come forward from midfield and for El Ghazi on one wing and whoever's playing on the other wing to sort of, it's normally Trezeguet who starts to, to get in there and create. And I think that will cause Norwich some issues. But John McGinn just pops up everywhere. Like he gen he, he genuinely does. seems to always be when no one else is. And it, it shows just how good of a footballer he is. And there's a reason why he was being linked to Manchester United when they got promoted. Because he's that sort of midfielder who when you need him to be in the right place at the right time, he will be. And I think that will play a big part because Norwich's midfield is very dynamic. We've got Buendia, who, who just seems to be able to pick a pass for fun. Campwell, who runs everywhere. Steeperman, who just appears at the edge of the box all the time. But I think McGinn's the sort of player that will really, really trouble them. And I think there'll be goals in this one. I, I want to say Norwich will take it just because of the home advantage. But they're in such poor form. One win in their last five mm. with four losses. At least Villa have picked up a couple of points and Villa were unlucky to lose to Arsenal, to be honest. And a bit unlucky at Burnley. They got a goal disallowed by VAR, which might not have been. Could have had a penalty as well. So, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go against the grain. I think Norwich's poor form 
is is going to stand up in this one. And I'm going to go for a 2-1 Villa win. I know we're not onto the terrible tens yet, but I think both teams will score. But I think Villa will, will just be able to nick it. What about you? Um, I'm going to disagree with you again. I'm going to go 3-1 Norwich, oh. I think. Um, I know. I just think, I, again, I think you're right. I think both teams will score. But I just, I don't know. I think it's about time Norwich sort of uh, start playing, you know, or, or start, their football starts succeeding a little bit again. Um, and I think that from what I've seen of Villa, they haven't completely convinced me. I think, yeah, you're right. They've had a few decisions that have gone against them. But uh, I don't know. I just feel like Norwich, they, they need a bit of a boost. And I think this is probably a good match to do it. It's, you know, they're, they're one position apart. Um, Norwich are in the relegation zone. Aston Villa aren't. Um, and I think this could be the um, the match that just, you know, spurs them on with a home crowd to, uh, to get a win and give them three points that they, they desperately need at this yeah. point. First home game since that win against City. So maybe the crowd will carry them over the line right. We've neglected them for so long. We've not talked about them at all. They've had some great results this season, and we haven't talked. We haven't Tottenham. talked about them. It's West Ham. We've not talked. About, I'm not. We're not going near. We're not going near West Ham. Uh, sorry, Alan. Uh, they did beat Manchester United two 0 We unfortunately didn't have a pod that week. There is no coincidence. Oh, how unfortunate! There is no for you. coincidence to that. That it's decided he didn't really feel for it that day. <laughs> I was I was working very very sure you hours on to to Chelsea because we've not talked about them for for a few weeks and they really have picked up form under Frank Lampard. Uh, they're away to Southampton this weekend. Um, feel confident that you've you've got what it takes. I know Southampton not not the greatest team, but there's been criticisms of Frank Lampard's style of play so far this season without the ball. Do you think you can do enough with the ball to get the win over Southampton? Um, I think so. I mean, I'm never going to say no, but um, I just think, to be honest, I think actually Chelsea without the ball aren't, aren't too bad in that our pressing's pretty good. Whenever Mason Mount's on the pitch, he looks like, you know, winning the ball back and there's so much energy, especially with Kante coming back now. Obviously, he started the uh, match against Lille. Um he, he, hopefully he's fit enough. He's only started uh, sort of, I think it's four of now 11 matches this season in all competitions. Um, and I think it feels like he's been rushed back and then he's got injured again and he had another niggle in his hamstring and he hasn't started. So hopefully he's now fit because that makes another huge difference. If you've got Mountain Kante in, a, in midfield pressing, it, it just, it puts any team under pressure. Um, mm. And it just means that you've got to move the ball quickly and as soon as you don't, you've lost it and, and Chelsea can counter. So, I do feel confident. It's just defensively, we have been a bit weak. I think Kepa's been all right, but I think he was he was very strong uh, at points last season. But his shot stopping just hasn't quite been there yet. I think he's very good, uh, sort of in the air, and he's very good uh, sort of in control of his defence. But his shot stopping hasn't been quite good, and obviously that's the most important thing for a keeper. Um, mm. It's not been quite good enough. So. There are questions there, and there's no doubt that at the moment we are capable of conceding goals. But I just think that, you know, we've had uh, Rudiger out. He's still out. Emerson, who is without doubt our best left-back over Alonso. I'm not I'm not slaying Alonso at the moment, because when he's been playing left-wing-back this season, he's been all right. Um, but, he, you know, I think he, he's not a left-back. He defensively is a bit weak. Um, Tamori's been a great find, and him and Christensen seem to now have formed a, a really good sort of centre-back partnership. And hopefully, the more they start together... 
the better they'll both become because they're only 21 and 23. Um, so that if they if they can play together for, for years to come, they could be great, especially this season, just every game together. Uh, hopefully they'll keep improving and improving, which we didn't have at the start of the season. It was, uh, you know, David Luiz left very abruptly at the uh, the end of the transfer window. Um, then uh, it was Christensen and, and Zuma. Rudiger came back for one game, got subbed off at half time because he was injured again. So we've really struggled. Um, but hopefully things are getting a little bit better. And the players we've got in defence now, with most of them come back off injury, Reese James, again, starting the game at Lille, making a Champions League debut. Um, whether he plays at, at right back or right wing back, uh, they can also start to play together a bit more, get a bit more of an understanding. And then obviously Kante coming back as well just makes a huge difference defensively. Um, I think Jorginho has been brilliant as well because he's got just better. Much this is a stat going around. I can't even remember what it is. It's a whole table of like defensive stats. Um, he's been defensively better than um, Fabinho and and Rodri, the, the City and Liverpool sort of holding midfielders. He's been really, really good defensively, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for it because uh, the match at the weekend. Um, he was just—he was absolutely ever at winning the ball back um, all over the, the pitch. So he, he played so so well, and um, I just—I think it's coming together. But there are still a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of holes in this team currently. Um, but I just really hope they get ironed out for the rest of the season. But again, again it's, I think Southampton are the type of team that now we need to be picking points up against. I think we will, but it's the type of match that we can just be building on this structure that we've got now, and the young players can get even more experience. Uh, and just start performing together as a team, as opposed to just sort of a lot of talented individuals. Yeah, and and I definitely think that it will just be a case of the more they play together, the more they'll gel. And, and I'm not saying, I'm saying this is, they've been playing very, 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 very well. I mean, bar the Manchester United away game, you've won both your away games since. And yes, the, the Norwich game 3-2 was an absolute barnstormer, but on another day, that game very easily could have been four or five for Chelsea. They did get five against Wolves as well, and that could have been a couple more. So there are easily going to be goals. It's the defensive side that you mentioned that Chelsea will struggle with because, as albeit that Southampton aren't the greatest side in the league, they do know how to stay relatively compact. They actually concede less goals this season on average than Chelsea 1.57 to Chelsea's 1.86. And you saw that against Spurs two one loss. And on another day against 10 men, they probably should take advantage. Yes. They gifted a goal from Hugo Lloris doing, I don't know what he was doing, but Danny put the (laughs) Cruyff, but not Cruyff because he didn't actually (laughs) do it right. The Lloris turn. Um, and, And they tend not to concede too many goals as the stats prove. So I think it'll be, I think Chelsea will win. I think far and away there, they're a better side than Southampton. But Danny Ings is in decent form. Couple of goals against Portsmouth in the League Cup. And I know they're not in the same quality bracket as a Premier League team at the moment, but that gets a striker fired up to score in the South Coast derby. Scored, I've put scored in in massive uh, quotation marks here against Spurs because he literally just poked the ball from like a yard away and it rolled in. But if there's any team that that sort of experienced striker can maybe unsettle the young defenders, I think it'll be it'll be against Chelsea. And I, I think it'll be a, a decent game. One thing that I wanted to pick up as well and, and ask you on, 
I saw some some tweets floating around and and someone and I can't remember who said it, but someone said uh, Jorginho is probably the most underrated. Sorry, no, I don't want to misquote him. He didn't say Jorginho is most underrated. He said Jorginho's play style and importance is the most underrated in England. And I think the way he's phrased that is important because I think a lot of people don't actually understand what Jorginho does well or full stop what he does. So what is it that he does so well that maybe people don't realise unless they watch Chelsea week in, week out? It's it's an interesting one because he gets sort of labelled with this Regista role and you think you say Regista, you think sort of Sergio Busquets or, um, I don't know, maybe... Verratti or someone uh, for PSG mm. it's sort of a, it's a weird combination of the two and I think he has improved under Lampard a bit as well don't get me wrong last year with Sarri he was he was brilliant and he got a lot of abuse from fans and I genuinely don't know why because he was one of our best players I think he's you know he's very intelligent on the pitch he's a leader I think he'll be captain one day whether it's sort of club captain or just uh, sort of the captain when we haven't got another captain on the pitch I think he's, he's that type of player and he's got that influence. He's so clever because he knows exactly um, what he's doing. And it's sort of that that quote in that you could watch. Um, you could watch just him. Yeah, so you'll see him on the pitch. He'll be pointing fingers, telling people where to go, filling holes. Um, and it's that defensive uh, sort of ability that he he really has. That he can win the ball back. He he gets into great positions. Um, he reminds me of John Terry in a sense that they're maybe they're not the most quick players, but they read the game so Ooh. well. And he does that from a defensive midfield position. Um, I'm not saying he's as, as good as John Terry defensively, but he just he reads the game. He gets into positions where he can make tackles and interceptions and then quickly turn past the ball and get Chelsea counter-attacking really quickly. And he just does it so well. It's so fluid. And without him, we really, really struggle because uh, there's not, we don't really have a player that can do that as well as he does. We've got Kante who can tackle as well, but doesn't quite have that sort of passing range. Um, run, but he can't, maybe, he's not quite as good under pressure, um, even if he's better going forward. And then Kovacic, who is very good under pressure and getting out of situations, but he, yeah, again, doesn't have quite that passing, isn't quite as good defensively. So he just sum, sums up so many good things um, and then puts them all into sort of one package and just sits in the middle of the park and just makes the whole team work because everyone plays better with him there than without him. Yeah, and the thing that I love about Jorginho is that he makes the defensive midfield role because that's what he is. He's a defensive midfielder. He takes it to a completely different aspect. His range of passing is ridiculous, to be mm. honest. But he's he's such a clever player that you don't need to be spraying 40, 50-yard balls to be considered a good passer. He just knows when to go sidewards, when to move one way, when to move one other way. And then in the split second, he'll make that decision to turn the ball around the corner or put it in a pocket. And all of a sudden, you've got whoever it is through on goal. And it's not always... The thing about Jorginho that I love is, and no one ever notices it, he very rarely assists people but he will always make the perfect pass to let someone else assist someone. Mm. His ability to find that pass to then allow the likes of 
Mason Mount, who's a little bit further forward, to find Tammy Abraham in behind or to find someone on the wing like Willian or Pedro or Callum Hudson-Odoi when he's back in the team. It's his ability to know where to pass and when to pass that I absolutely love. And again, bias from me because of the Italian aspect. I think he just he makes any team tick, but he's a, he's a fabulous talent. One thing that I wanted to say before we move on from Chelsea, and, and he got a lot of criticism at the beginning of the season. Criticism is the wrong word, but he was sort of said he's probably not going to be good enough at this level after the Manchester United game. I'm talking about Tammy Abraham here. Had a couple of chances, didn't really do well enough, hit the post with one, uh, fluffed his lines a little bit with another. But he's the second top scorer in the Premier League now. Seven goals to his name in his first proper season in the Premier League. We won't count the Swansea one because he didn't really get to play that much there. He's proven himself to not only be able to score goals, but play that sort of forward line that fared Diego Costa so well at Chelsea. Do you think he's going to be able to to emulate that sort of season when Diego Costa scored, what was it, 20-plus goals in all, in all comps? Oh, I hope so. Sorry, before we talk about Tammy Abraham, I just want to say, just imagine Jorginho in that Man City team. Um, no, I oh, think... Oh. I think... I really hope Abraham can have a season that good. I mean... In, in, in three games, he scored two doubles and a hat-trick in the space of three games. Like, mm. he's really showing that he is like, a proper, proper striker. And anyone that didn't rate him, yeah, from having a, a dodgy loan at Swansea or, uh, you know, being like, oh, he's only a championship player, so we can't hack it in the Premier League. Like, he scored 26 goals last season. Like, you're not a bad player if you do that. And he's just stepped up really well. I think... Having the young players in the Chelsea team really helps. I think there's no there's no way without Lampard as manager that he'd be able to have started like this. He's had so much faith put in him and he's just reacted so well. I think that's a big thing that people don't realise about him is his mentality. And just he he just wants to succeed so badly that he puts in so much work and it just it just pays off for him because he's by no means perfect. He he's not particularly great at like one thing at the moment if you look at like I don't know Firmino you look at his link up play or if you look at uh, Aguero you think his finishing is brilliant or um, mm. you know players like this that you, you look at one thing you think that's they just really know that currently he's not quite there but he's got every aspect of his game is good and if he keeps playing at the end of the season he could end up being one of the top three strikers in the league or at least on goals and if he keeps playing with Chelsea for a few years, he could be the best striker in the league if he keeps going at the rate he's going, I think. Because he's, you know, he's a tall guy, but he's quick. He can beat defenders. He can hold the ball up and bring other players into the game. And that's probably the thing he's best at the moment. And um, that's the reason Giroud's been probably was kept around in the summer. But actually, Tammy Abraham's proving he's almost as good at it as Giroud is. And that's Giroud's sort of specialist thing. So if he can do that, he's quick. He can beat players. He can score goals, as we've seen. And even when he didn't score goals against Brighton at the weekend, like he had a good game. He was making runs. He was challenging defenders, getting in between centre-backs, causing issues. And he's just a, a physical presence as well, but he will never stop running and, and trying hard for the team. And I think it's so nice to have that after, you know, Chelsea's just real issue with strikers since Diego Costa and then Drogba. Like we've had Higuain and... and um, the, even since like the issue with Torres and then have brought in loads of players like Remy and Eto and 
Alejandro Pato, and oh. none of them have worked. I could just list off strikers, to be honest. Um, we, we generally have had the curse with strikers, but Abraham seems to be the guy that you know we promoted from our academy. He's been there since he was eight. He could be the guy that that is at Chelsea for the next ten years and scores hundreds of goals. Um, like he's so so good, um, and he's got so much potential to to be just absolutely brilliant. But you've got to think it is you know it's his first will be his first proper full season in the, in the Premier League with with a good team and. Even if he doesn't have, you know, if he if he drops form for a little bit, it's a type of player that just back him and he will come back. It's not like he'll drop off form and then not play for the rest of the season. He will come back and keep going because that's the type of guy that he is. Yeah, I, I think he he's a very very accomplished striker in the championship, and he's showing that the step up is not too much to ask, especially when you've got the burden of basically being the starting striker for a rebuilding Chelsea team under a legend that everyone loves. So, yeah. And he had the Wolves defence on skates, which I, <laughs> which I loved. Um, so, yeah, be a, be a very interesting season for not only Tammy Abraham, but, but the rest of the Chelsea squad. And we promise we'll talk about them a little bit more. Right, we're getting on to the break. When we come back, it's terrible tens times. I'm going to be honest, someone has gone very left field. <laughs> Join us after the break. How wrong is the game? Welcome back from the break. Uh, it's terrible tens time. And normally we go through uh, individually, all of us. Ryan is normally the man to, to take up this mantle. And one he's been doing absolutely superbly. Um, so I'm going to have to try and match him this week. It's safe to say that we were all terrible last week. Uh, as... As a I mean, I'm going to be honest, I've done exactly the same I've done all season, to be honest. I've been horrendous throughout, but <laughs> um, everyone did particularly badly last week. Uh, as a foursome, just to, to remind you, so 30 points on offer per person. Uh, so that makes 120 for the four of us. Cumulatively, we managed to get 15 points <laughs> last week. It's um, bad. I top scored with five. I'm not proud of that at all. Uh, I'm proud I didn't come last, though. Tim got four. I think and... it's, yeah, the first time that I haven't come bottom. <laughs> yes, that is true. And then Tom and Ryan are rounding off a three. Tom currently in the lead on 39 points. Me in second, 37. Ryan, 35 on third. And uh, Tim floundering behind on 28. But I could change still... this week, though. It could change every week. It's like... Funnily enough, it's like... Ryan's gone with 7 nil for the away team in every game. <laughs> uh, it's like the lottery mate every, every week we tell ourselves this will be my week it's, it's never your week it's never your month or even your year um, no, don't I was, yeah, come on that was, that was smooth you've got to give me that mm, I'm not um, sure it doesn't matter if you lose this week I'll be there for you it'll be okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> I resign from immediate effect <laughs> Um, right, let, let's actually talk about this rather than trying to make puns, Danny. Uh, we'll start it off by saying, like I said, Ryan normally goes through each game in order, tells everyone what their opinion is. I'm just going to start off the bat. Tom's gone super left field. He's just gone 1-0 to the home side in every single game. So uh, I'll remind you at home, you can still get involved. You'll probably beat us at the end of the season. Game time podcast one at gmail.com if you want to get involved in the predictions or if you go to our Twitter, game time underscore pod, we post the pictures of the games each week. 
uh, you can post under there. You've still got time this week. Uh, as long as you get it in before the early game on the Saturday, you are legible for the game. Right. So as I said, Tom's gone 1-0 home win. I'll remind everyone um, at the end of each each game. But it's, a, it's an interesting one. Uh, let's, let's go with the first game of the weekend. A bit of an interesting one. It's a Brighton versus Spurs. Now, Spurs obviously not in good form. They've been absolutely demolished in the Champions League last night at the time of recording by Bayern Munich at home. Uh, they're away from home against Brighton. My team that I tipped for the top 10 for some reason. Um, well, Brighton. Yeah. The team that I tipped to come bottom by an absolute mile this year. Yeah, I, b- I believe your prediction was for them to be relegated in November. I don't know if that's happening. <laughs> right, that might have been a joke, but I did say they're going to get one of the lowest points tallies ever in Premier League history, which yes, I think, to be uh, honest, they're probably already beaten. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think they have. Uh, Watford might be on their way there, though. Uh, Brighton versus Tottenham. Tim, uh, I, I know your score is in front of me, but you've gone for, for 3-1. What, what have you gone for that high-scoring fest? Did you go 3-1 to Tottenham? You have gone 3-1 to Tottenham, yes, mate. <laughs> I was confused there for a second. I was like, I do not tip Brighton to do that well. Um, I, To be honest, it's just I just don't think... Um, Brighton weren't great against us last weekend, and I don't think they're good enough to beat Tottenham, despite how bad they were uh, on Tuesday against Bayern Munich, because um, they were bad. Um, admittedly, most of that was because Ndombele came off, who was one of the best players on the pitch. So, if he's playing, I think he can probably carry Spurs through because I think he could be a really great player for them. But um, I just don't think Bryce will be, be good enough. And I think that I think they'll score because I think that um, that Tottenham are probably not good enough defensively. But I think uh, the likes of sort of Son, Kane, and Lucas will, will be enough to get them some goals. Okay, well, solid bet. Uh, Ryan's pretty much agreed with you. He's gone for a slightly narrower version, but two-one win for Tottenham. He's gone. I was very umming and ahhing a Brighton win on this one, but I think. After last, well, after last night again, at the time of recording Tuesday night's game against Bayern Munich, Spurs are really going to want to come out of the blocks, but I don't think they're going to do all that well. So I've gone for a one-all draw in this one. Yeah, it's a Spurs win or it's the Pochettino go. Um, yes. I think I like that. Pochettino go sounds like um, the spin-off to Pokemon we'll Go. Go a really bad VR app where you just walk around town <laughs> looking at pictures of Maurizio Pochettino. And then when you spin it, you either lose 7-2 to Bayern or lose 1-0 to Brighton. Um, <laughs> I'm copywriting this. And Tom, as I said at the beginning, has gone for a 1-0 win to Brighton. So let's. Uh, I'm turning it to Ryan, so I've got to go for a 1-0 win to Brighton, Tom's predictions. Uh, so Tom starts off with a 1-0 win to Fleetwood against Ipswich. I've gone with goals, goals, goals. Ipswich top, Fleetwood not too far behind them. I'm going to go 3-2 Ipswich. Away win. They were very, very convincing in their last game. They won 4-1. Um, if you've got a chance to look at the goals in that, some absolutely stunning goals in that game all round. So I've gone 4-1 Ipswich. Tim, you've gone 2-2. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I think I might have done this after a few beers and uh, having a Sunday roast last week. So I don't know if any of these are based off any sort of logic. Um, but... Yeah, I thought I'd go for a few draws. I don't think I picked any draws last week and didn't do very well. So <laughs> I love that. I love that. To be fair, Ryan, who... And you'll notice this week that the level of knowledge about these games is so far and away lower than what it normally is. Ryan's ability to know all about other leagues is, is purely stunning. So I'm only doing 
like a substitute teacher's job, but that substitute teacher that just walks in, gives everyone a handout and just goes, just do this. And just sits there and does nothing. I didn't know where you were going with that for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> the substitute teacher that walks in and gives everyone a, a handout. <laughs> handout, like a piece like, of paper. They're getting fired sooner than Pochettino. As I was saying, uh, Ryan knows a bloody lot about um, the rest of the leagues. Uh, and if you've kind of gone with him, you're not doing too far wrong. He's also gone for a draw. Uh, the two high flyers to draw one all, according to Ryan. Right, the third game on the list, it's high flyers Fulham versus Charlton. Charlton obviously upsetting the odds, beating Leeds last weekend by a goal to nil. Fulham, though, just a very, very solid team. They uh, absolutely smashed Reading at the weekend. Uh, You've gone for a home win to Fulham 2-1. Do you think that's just home advantage and the way that Fulham play is going to be enough? Yeah, pretty much. They're playing quite well at the moment. Yeah. And they also bloody love possession at home. So uh, I wouldn't imagine that's going to be any different. You've gone 2-1. I've gone goals again. I've gone another 3-2. I've I've been fancy goals. Um, Yeah, I've gone 3-2 because I don't think Charlton will just buckle under the pressure. I think they'll have to get some goals on the counter. But... We've seen people score against Fulham so far this season at home, and I think there will be goals, but I think Mitrovic is in very, very good form at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised if he grabs a couple in this. 3-2 Fulham. For me, Tom's gone 1-0 again, as I said. I don't think I need to keep repeating it, to be honest. Um, We're going north of the border. It's Oh, God. God. Don't ever do that. We're going north of the border. It's Hearts versus Kilmarnock. Uh, I've gone for goals again. Goal-laden week. 2-2 for me. Uh, At least theoretically it's interesting. Yes, that's what I go with. At least we've got to keep the listeners entertained. Uh, Ryan's gone for a 3-1 Hearts win at home. You've gone for a narrower margin. You've actually matched Tom. 1-0. Great. (laughs) He'll still beat me. Any words on the (laughs) 1-0? Presumably Hearts were above the table above Kilmarnock in the table so I've gone for them to win that's legit all I know about Scottish Premier League football is that they're the table positions presumably they're above them which is the best thing I've heard in a while Uh, you'd presume wrong Kilmarnock are actually two places above great I don't know why I've done that uh... then who knows (laughs) who knows indeed uh... (laughs) that's a that should be the tagline of terrible tens terrible tens (laughs) fuck it uh Lincoln versus Sunderland. Uh, Ryan's gone for a 2-0 win to Sunderland. Uh, you've gone against him. You've gone for a 2-1 win for Lincoln. Hometown, Why mate. have you done that? Hometown. I can't play yes. against them. I forgot it's the one of the 17 teams you support. Uh, yeah, one of the many. I forget. <laughs> Sorry, it's an extensive list. Uh, there is. It's like Chelsea strikers. Just keeps going on and on and on and on. Uh, 2-1 win. You've gone for Lincoln. Uh, I've gone uh, with Ryan. I've gone for a 2-1 win away from home. Sunderland, very, very impressive. They've got over their like, one-all draw fetish at the beginning of the season um, and played very, very well uh, last week against MK Dons. If my memory serves me right, they won two goals to one. Yes, they did, because I watched the match, I remember. Uh, and Tom has gone for a 1-0 home win to Lincoln. So, 
50-50 we've gone there. You've, you and Tom have gone for home wins. Me and Ryan have gone I'm for away wins. not sure agreeing with Tom on this one's so the best idea. I feel like every time <laughs> I get the same sort of result as him, then I'm going to lose. Yeah. So uh, that well, can't be we'll any worse. We'll see. Last week, Ryan posted on our WhatsApp group uh, slash Facebook messenger group that literally every away team in the Bundesliga won. So why not? Why not for the home teams in, uh, in England? And Scotland. Uh, right, Huddersfield versus Hull. Oh, who cares? Huddersfield versus Hull. Uh, you've gone for the same scoreline, 2-1 to the home side in Huddersfield. Oh, I literally don't know why. Wait, did I say Huddersfield are going to win? You did, um, yes, 2-1. Did I mean that? Huddersfield are like second bottom, aren't they? Uh, they are, but they have just hired a new manager. And All right, Barnes. sure. I didn't know that, but let's go with it. Uh, as, as I can tell you, they did win their last game one 0 against Stoke, so you've done all you've done all right. But beating Stoke actually isn't that bad of a as not that easy. What am I saying? Beating Stoke is not that hard. They had eighteen shots Stoke in the match on Tuesday, not a single one on Jesus. Target. Yeah, uh, so you've gone for a two-one home win. I've gone for a two-one away win. I, I think. Hull are a very good team and although I backed them last week uh, and they didn't they didn't come up trumps I've gone with the win for Hull we'll see how that one peters out uh, Ryan has also agreed with you on this one he's gone for a 1-0 home win doesn't think there'll be goals in this one he's gone for a 1-0 home win which means he's agreed with Tom so it's nice to see that despite the fact Tom's gone for an entire lambast of the game and just gone for 1-0 home wins people are still agreeing with him so it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, let's move. Let's move it on. Millwall versus Leeds. That's a fucking rock hard derby. Rock hard derby. Sounds what, weird. what are we coming out with today? <laughs> Jesus, I don't know. I've so much Beecham's in me. Um, Millwall versus Leeds. Although <laughs> no Beecham's. If you want a if you want a sponsored podcast, hit us up. <laughs> If you need to sponsor a football podcast, do it as at Beecham's. Um, yeah, Millwall versus Leeds. Uh, an interesting one. You've gone for a 3-1 away win. Is that just because Leeds are absolutely high-flying? They're just they're, they're like doing really well. So, yeah. There's literally based on nothing other than that. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's fair. I've, I've agreed with you with a 2-0 away win um, against Millwall. Uh, Tom has disagreed with you. He's gone with a 1-0 win. I keep saying that to Millwall. And Ryan's actually gone for a draw, which, to be honest, is is not a bad shout because Millwall do make it hard for people at home. Um, they've proved that this season a couple of times against some of the bigger teams in the league, and I wouldn't be surprised if that one does actually end up a draw. But I've gone for a 2-0 away win. Right, we've gone back north of the border in a game that I don't know much about Scottish football. This one I know even less about. It's Partick Thistle versus Queen of the South. Um, I'm going to be honest. Two of you have gone for nil-nil. Ryan, Ryan's agreed with you, Tim, for a nil-nil draw. And incredibly, I've agreed with Tom and gone one-nil Partick oh, Thistle. So some... Tom's going to do really so well this somehow... week, isn't he? Because he's got at least one prediction That's... the same as everybody else. That's what I'm thinking. He's, uh, by the way, when we say that we've agreed with each other, we don't know what each other have put yeah. until the podcast goes live when we send it on the group chat to each other. So we have no idea what each other have put until we start recording. So I'm just reading out what 
people have. You might think we've done equally a, well to guess similar predictions, but actually, it's probably just equally shit. Yeah, yeah. Bearing in mind, we're we're still like in the thirties after like seven <laughs> game weeks. It's uh, it shows you just well, we how could be on two hundred and ten. In... Exactly. Exactly. Um, don't even mention that. Uh, so, yeah, I've gone with Tom with a 1-0 win to Partick Thistle over Queen of the South. Uh, Rotherham versus Coventry. I've got this game as a bang-on nil-nil draw. Uh, Tom doesn't agree with me. He's gone 1-0 to the home side. Uh, Rotherham versus Carlisle. You've gone for 2-0 Carlisle. Any reasons? No. Solid. I just don't know. Uh, it was and... the, the second beer. That's what it was. The second beer did it. And Ryan's gone for a 2-1 win to Rotherham. Um, I had the pleasure of working on a Rotherham game the other week. I say the other week literally meant the weekend. It was not fun. It was not a fun game. There wasn't many chances. It was it was literally a boring game. It ended 1-0 to Bristol Rovers. Very similar <laughs> to the Man United Arsenal game that ended one all. I had to work on the Manchester United uh, West Ham game. That was depressing. <laughs> that was very depressing. You've not had a great time so far. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, and final game of the weekend, it is Watford versus Sheffield United. Uh, Tim, we've managed to agree. Yay! You've gone for a 1-0 Sheffield United win and I have duly agreed with you. Um, I was going to put more goals, but I think it will be a narrow one. Nah, one nil to Sheffield. Sheffield United. struggled to score any goals against Liverpool, even though they looked really good. So uh, I think they will have enough chances to at least get one. Yeah, I think they'll have a lot of chances against Watford, who have been ropey at best. Uh, Ryan has agreed with Tom that he's mental. Uh, one nil. Ryan has gone to Watford. He's gone to get them uh, back on track and maybe off the foot of the table. Uh, we'll have to see if that happens, Tom. Of course, has gone with 1-0 to round off his uh, 10 one nils. So, um, clean sheets galore for the home team this week for Tom and 100% win. I swear to God, if he gets more than 10 right. points, he's played an absolute blinder. Um, uh, I will just update you there that uh, Ryan and Tom's prediction of 1-0 will not be enough to get Watford off the foot of the table because they have a minus 16 goal difference. And even though Newcastle lost 5-0 last week, that would not be enough to stretch the seven goal gap between the two sides. So they'll need to win by seven or more goals against Ouch. Sheffield United if if they, are, if they are to bridge that gap. Right, that, that covers our terrible tens. Uh, I'll send Ryan so he can neatly put in the scores to his table. Uh, that leaves us with some talking points for the week. Any funny, interesting or bizarre things you found from football this week that you wanted to talk about, Tim? Uh, the only thing is uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer complaining about um, the pitch that he's playing on uh, at Altmar on Thursday, uh, saying that it's completely unplayable uh, and that it's uh, Manchester United aren't going to be able to play their normal passing game, um, which is probably a good thing for them. <laughs> uh, get used to playing Thursday night football on an AstroTurf. Uh, Manchester United. Um, <laughs> uh, we learnt from the best. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I just thought it was hilariously funny. Um, but it's just a, a, just playing literally against a team that I've never heard of on an AstroTurf on a Thursday night. Mighty have fallen. Hazel Alkmaar, acknowledged 
Dutch football team. They're not that bad. No, no, no. I get your point. <laughs> I get your point. Uh, my one's Manchester United related <laughs> as well. Have you have you seen the cake that Manchester United got Mason Greenwood for his birthday? Oh God, do I want to? It's the most B tech thing I've ever seen in my life. It's literally just like an, a square icing cake with the stock photo that Mason Greenwood took at the Premier League. Like, you know, when they have to line up for the line. Yeah. And it just says, happy birthday, Mason. Oh, on Jesus. It. It's the worst thing. I was going to say, I thought it is a... ever since the Yaya Torre incident at Man City a few years ago, it seems like teams have been making a huge deal about some of their most important players' birthdays. But it seems that trend has now ended. Yeah, with literally the most bog standard cake I've ever seen. Even in my a Colin the Caterpillar would have been better than that. Bloody, I love Caterpillar. It's cake. so good. It abs- oh, that is that is god tier cake in my opinion. And I'm now hungry. Um, yes, I'm gonna probably grab some food when we jump off. Before we do jump off, I want to end it on a really cool note. Um, if you've got a chance to to listen to Lyle Taylor, the Charlton Strikers interview um, on Sky Sports, do give a listen. It's really, really good. He's dyed his hair pink for October to raise money and awareness for Cancer Research UK. Uh, it's a really, really nice uh, interview. And he, he basically just says, giving money is not enough. We need to raise awareness. We need to make sure that everyone knows about it. So he's dyed his hair bright pink. Um, and I think fair play to the lad because that will... He says brilliantly in the interview, and I, and I don't want to ruin it, do listen to it. He says, people have come up to me already and go, why have you dyed your hair pink? And that started yeah. the conversation and I can... I can tell them about it. So I think that's a, a really nice Brilliant. thing from him. And, and hopefully, and hopefully uh, more people do get involved. If you do want to donate money to Cancer Research UK, uh, go on over to the Cancer Research UK website or head over to their Twitter, CR underscore UK. You can find all the information there, how to get involved and donate. Um, but I think that will about wrap it up from me, Tim. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for having me. No, thank you as always. Uh, we'll be back next week. Remember, like, rate, comment, subscribe, do all that jazz on whatever podcast listening website you listen to us on. You can always get involved with us at GameTime underscore pod on Twitter. We are fairly frequent in posting stuff on there. So do get involved. But until next week, adios. Bye.